0: Future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights program This is news talk
1: Hello and welcome to the final episode of season 2 of Future of Work with Jess Kelly and me Gavin McLachlan Each week we've been looking at how COVID-19 has pushed the Irish workforce to change how business is done
2: Today, we're focusing on management. We ask, has the role of a manager changed in the pandemic? And if anyone can do the job.
1: Later in the show, we'll hear from Colum Foster from the Irish Management Institute, who shares his lessons for managers looking to manage a team from home.
2: And we'll hear from David McRedmond, the CEO of OnPost, who will share the lessons he has learned from a very long career in management. First, though, Gavin, like we're at the end of this season now, and one of the most common threads that have come through all of the episodes is the importance of managers. You know, we heard about, uh, you know, the, the morale, the keeping people connected, giving people feedback rather than just focusing on, you know, a twenty euro voucher for takeaway. That kind of stuff. It all does come down to people management at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the the big takeaways I have from this series is that there isn't necessarily the right type of training uh, out there for, for managers. So like when you're starting out in your career, you know, you're, you're kind of focused more on technical areas, aren't you? And mm-hmm. then people kind of go into their job, they excel in whatever technical area they're working in and that identifies them as perhaps a prime candidate to move into the world of management. But just because you're an expert in in, you know, your day job, that doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager. They're very different gigs and really... It's all about the people skills mm-hmm. uh, and, and whether you actually have those. So I think there's a, a growing awareness of, of this and, and certainly this pandemic has brought that to the fore because a lot of people, you know, as we know, are working remotely and they, they may be struggling with various things and it's important, I think, for managers to show that they can understand that and support people uh, in the difficulties that they face.
2: There's been a lot of talk about um, the right to disconnect and switching off. I, I spoke to um, a lawyer on Tech Talk a few weeks back and she was saying that, you know, having these guidelines or these rules in place is one thing, but teaching people how to enforce them properly and having that trust between an employer and an employee is vital. Um, like, how do, does your manager know when you're online and when you're offline? Do we need to go back to the old school check-in, check-out cards or... Or do you get to a place where morale is so high in your company that people don't mind going the extra mile, doing the extra bit rather than jotting down how many hours they work? I think there's, like, it is a skill to being a good manager, to having those open conversations and to placing your trust in somebody but then also knowing that that somebody believes that you have their back as well. Like, it's a very important dynamic to get right.
1: Yeah, and there there is a balance to be struck and... um... I often think a lot of the modern commentary around it, as we've discussed, it's all about sort of supporting people and helping people that you work for, and that's the way to create uh, the most productive work environment. But I do think the old-fashioned stick has a place as well. You know, everyone is motivated by different things, and I do think in in some instances, you know, if you want to get the best results, maybe you do have to break out the stick. And, um, you know, sometimes I I think that, that maybe gets forgotten a little bit. One thing that I think is crucial for managers is the ability to hire good people. Mm-hmm. Really difficult thing to do. And, uh, you know, I suppose if you want to get to the place where you can be a little bit more hands-off and you don't feel like you have to be, uh, you know, sort of supervising people really, really closely, the ability to be able to spot somebody good and hire them is a really, really important skill to have. So uh, I'm looking forward to discussing that a little bit further la- uh, later on. I wanted to ask you, do you fancy being a manager? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of what happens, isn't it? Uh, you know, when you you start out, you progress into your mid career, and, and later on, later on, a lot of times, you know, if you want to earn more money and move up the the ladder, you have to you have to manage people.
2: Mm.
1: Would you fancy giving it a go?
2: I have given it a go. So there've been a few times in here. And uh, so, as I've mentioned on the show previously, I've only ever worked here. So there's been a few times where, you know, I say I've run the Pakkeni show team for a summer, and that was my first chance to lead an entire production team. And I realised that out of the gate, I'm not very good at it. And the reason is number one, I'm a control freak. <laughs> so you know the way I'm very particular. I have the certain shade of pen that I use every day. I like things not being stapled. I like paper clips. Yeah. I'm very particular. And I just expect everybody, or I did expect everybody to just get my little weird quirks and, and be on my page. I don't like delegating because, firstly, I feel bad that I'm giving people things to do, even though that's your role as a manager. Yeah. And then I'm also like, oh, but th- like they won't use the correct font. Like I like Arial 14 and some people like Times New Roman. <laughs> so, and again, that's a really bad trait. The other thing, though, and the, the, the serious one that I think if I were to become a manager, I would need tra- or I'd want training in. Is personality management. Because yeah. I'm an oddball and I have no issue saying that I like things done my own way. I like being my own boss to a certain degree. But when you have different types of personality, I'd love to know what we what you mentioned there of you know what motivates people. How do you coax quiet people out of their shells? How do you put the loud ones back in their box? How do you ensure that maybe someone who's got something going on at home still feels able to be comfortable and secure and happy in the workplace and how much do you coax what's going on with them and their personal lives out of them like it, it's, it's a fine art I think and that's before you then do your actual job that's just the personality management side of things so I think between being a control freak and then not being that great with people I think I would need a lot of work and I probably have just talked myself out of promotion there but <laughs> sure look it's fine
1: yeah well it's, for me the thing is and I, I kind of did bits and pieces of it in the, in the previous gig just sort of day to day stuff not really sort of long term strategy or, or long term performance management but uh, the thing that jumps out at me is I, I, I don't like conflict I find mm. it very difficult and I kind of would try and avoid it as much as I can and uh, I think conflict is inevitable like when you're in a management gig and sometimes actually it's necessary and it can be a good thing to engage in it but I, I definitely think I, I, I would find that whole Element of it Very difficult And then You have to make decisions Obviously about hiring people Which we've just spoken about But firing people Oh I'd hate as it As well I
2: would hate it I'd sooner just quit my job And be like you know what Take my job Like
1: time. you can Obviously you can understand On an abstract level That sometimes in, in, It's in the best interest Of the organisation And the people Who are going to stay You know mm-hmm. Things have to be Commercially viable But to actually Have to take the decision To actually You know let people go from uh, from their gigs is uh, not something I'd relish either.
2: No, and that is something that over the last twelve or fourteen months we've seen a lot of here in Ireland. Not performance-related issues, but just businesses have faced challenges, and whether that was line managers calling employees to tell them that the business won't be reopening, or that you know they have to face a pay cut, that is quite difficult. And you know something I've been talking to my friends about recently: those who are in management positions. Like, who supports the managers? If you have to call 15 people and tell them that they're losing their jobs or that they're getting a pay cut and you have people heartbroken down the line going, well, geez, I don't know if I'll be able to afford childcare or, you know, I've got three kids under the age of seven. What do I do now? That's a big enough burden for a manager, particularly sort of middle management to be facing, because maybe they're not on the huge, ridiculous salary that you get when you're kind of the most senior executive in a company. It's it's the middle management people that I think are kind of the unsung heroes, but are also the ones that if they are not trained adequately, they they could actually cause a lot of damage to the underlings
1: Yeah and, and you know you reminded me of a, a story I heard from somebody who worked in middle management in banking mm. during the O the eight crisis and was called in one morning by their manager said right go and fire your team <sighs> and that was kind of it they had to let the team go uh, that morning so you know obviously uh, that's not something I think that, that people would relish but this is the reality And and in terms of support, I mean I suppose you've you got to think it's the, the board uh, the the role of chairperson is, is very important I think in, in supporting the chief executive uh, and uh, you know I suppose the, the HR department would be the other people as well so it's a very very challenging gig uh, for people to have but you know if you want to earn good money as I say mm. and, and advance up the career ladder and get yourself a nice mortgage etc uh, etc et you know this uh, this kind of seems to be the road that, that you have to go down in, in, a, in a lot of cases.
2: But is it not and, and this is something, and again, you, you kind of talk about career progression and that the obvious thing is that you then eventually get to lead a team. But is it not very damaging to businesses that ha- that uh, promote people who aren't fit for the managerial roles? Because I have heard some absolute horrific stories of people whose morale were was just sort of driven into the ground by crappy managers or who lost every ounce of self-confidence because of passive-aggressive managers. You know, it's not the same thing to say you're getting promoted because you're very good at your job and you're getting promoted to lead a team. Like, I do think that there should be a distinction and I I understand that it's difficult because you can't just give everybody a pay rise and obviously you do need managers. But as you said at the top, just because you're good at your job doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager.
1: Yeah, definitely not. And so that's why... Training is so important. and uh, But do you, you think know.
2: that anyone can be trained to be a good manager? I know we're going to talk to Colm and we're going to talk to, to David McGredman shortly, but do you think that it's something that can be trained? Have you ever gone on any of those courses where they teach you how to be a good manager?
1: No, but I I mean, the fact that they exist, I think, Im- implies by their nature that certainly they think it's possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think it probably is possible. You know, it might be possible to... Train you to be the best manager in the world, but certainly I think it's possible to make improvements. Um, so you know, what are the qualities you need? I think you do need to have a, a decent understanding, I think, of the the technical basics. But it really is that whole human side of things, uh, empathy, and all the rest of it is 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 uh, you know an area where it may be more tricky uh, to mm. teach to teach some of those skills. But uh, I'll be interested to hear what what Colm has to say uh, about all that later on. But I mean, you know, some people aren't aren't. People, people. Um, mm-hmm. and Some people are very sociable animals and and they find it easier to deal with people. So, you know, everyone is different. I, I do think it is possible to improve though. And, and uh, I'm sure that's what the, the management institute will say when we speak to them in a few minutes.
2: But if you read um, some of the biographies about, particularly in tech, some of the big tech giants, obviously Steve Jobs is the famous example. He was a genius when it came to the product, but he was an absolute demon to work for. And I, I sometimes worry or wonder about that, you know, very, I don't want to say macho, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of, let's just yell at you to do your job style of management and how it's been seen as, and put on a pedestal of, this is the way things should be done. Um, Like I read a book about Elizabeth, um, the woman who founded Theranos, you know, that company, the blood testing oh, yeah. company? She styled herself on Steve Jobs. And they had an incredible turnover of staff because people were just being balled out of it for no good reason. They used to herself and her COO used to come in first thing in the morning, like super early and judge people who weren't in before them. They created this culture of fear. And firstly, their, their technology was utter BS. So that's one thing. But just like when I was reading that book, and it was a fascinating book. It's called Bad Blood. I'd highly recommend it. Um, the, the 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 culture of fear was just outrageous because they wanted to follow the the Apple template of secrecy and you know we are the best and nobody can know what we're doing. And I just sometimes wonder, like, how many other companies have modelled themselves like that, and how many people go into the office shaken like a dog.
1: Yeah, and well, the thing, the thing about them is as well. And Apple, when you're talking about Steve Jobs, is, yeah, it's terrible and people go in and they end up deciding to leave. But they're able to get new people to come in and it's because of the cachet that they have. Mm. Uh, you know, Apple would have had it more than, than these guys, Ternos. But, they, you know, they were seen for a time as one of the hottest startups in the world. So they were able to attract a load of really good people uh, to come and work for them just because of that. So, you know, in, in some cases... Maybe you don't need to be worrying too much about all this happy clappy stuff. And, uh, you know, if you're getting results at the end of the day, that's probably the main thing that matters in terms of your your shareholders and all the rest of it. So, you know, that's kind of part of the reason why I'm saying sometimes I think uh, there there is a little bit too much uh, emphasis on this happy clappy stuff because it is possible to get results uh, with the uh, Iron Fist as well as with the Velvet Glove.
2: Yeah, but I think you can be a bit of both. Like, would you stay in a job if you got a huge salary but your manager was an absolute dose?
1: Well, it depends on um, it depends on what's going on in your personal circumstances. So, you know, you might just have to put up with it if you have a mortgage to pay and, you you know, it's 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 not not easy to change job. Like, there, there might be something else out there that you're able to get uh, an equivalent amount of money for. You, you know, obviously, if you have outgoings that you have to meet you may kind of be stuck, so um, sometimes I, I think unfortunately people are, are left with no choice but to suck it up and get get out of it, even if it's something that you're, you're dreading going into work, what can you do?
2: And I, I suppose it comes back to the, the notion of HR then as well, because surely if you are working in a place like that where your manager, whether it is your manager, CEO, whatever, a very senior person if they are being an absolute dose, you at any level should be able to go to HR and get the supports and have some sort of, I don't know, resolution to the problem. But you can't change people's personalities. I've seen people on courses, I go on quite a few courses and you go on them and people talk about what their like, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they're hoping to achieve by the end of the day on the course. And like, you're not going to work miracles here. You're not going to have an absolute dragon go out and become a little fairy and spread like magic through the office. That just doesn't (laughs) happen. So I I do think that some people are just hardwired particular ways. And I think we heard it being called quite a bit during this series, you know, the soft skills. I actually think that as time goes on and as... You know, technology becomes more infiltrated in how we communicate and, you know, talking to people through screens, having things like empathy, compassion, just a warm word. You don't start a a Zoom call going, Gavin, where's that work? You go, hey, how's it going? How are your kids? How's life? Do you know what I mean? You have to be a human in the workplace rather than just a robot that's causing havoc no matter where you go.
1: Yeah, and there is a generational element to this and I I, I think it's fair we've established that over this series that maybe some of those practices were more tolerated uh, in previous generations but kind of people coming through now don't put up with it as much so uh, I suppose that that, uh, maybe would give you some hope that things might be a little bit easier going forward Uh, but... Just to reiterate, I do think there is a there is a, a, a time maybe where the, the stick can be good if you if you you know if you aren't getting results and you need to get
2: them. Okay, well let's find out how managers are being taught. Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll hear from Column Foster, the Irish Management Institute's Director of Executive Education.
0: Future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights program. This is News Talk.
2: Welcome back to Future of Work with Jess Kelly and Gavin McLaughlin. We're joined now by Colin Foster of the Irish Management Institute. He is the Director of Executive Education. Uh, Colin, you're very welcome to the show. Um, myself and Gavin were chatting before the break about the importance of managers, I suppose, and we both sort of posed the question: Can anybody become a manager? Uh, what, what would your answer to that be?
3: It's a good, good question, Jess. And I think the um, the answer to can anybody become a manager is resolutely yes. But there's a big difference between being a manager and being a leader. So uh, management is a role into which you can be appointed. So things like you know delegating and planning and organising and functional skills, those are things that you can learn, and that they make you a good manager. Managers are absolutely essential. You know the operations manager or the finance manager, the station manager. These are roles you can learn, but that's very different from being a leader. Leadership is a set of behaviours. It's a blend of things, of IQ capabilities and emotional intelligence skills. And you, you actually can't be appointed as a leader. You get elected as a leader by the people that you lead, or else you don't. So, if you find yourself in a meeting and you're the boss, you're the, you know, you're the big boss with the big chair and you're in charge nominally. But if people are listening to somebody else in that meeting, then she's the leader, not you. Mm-hmm. So, leadership is something that you grow into that you can learn. We all start from a place, you know, with a certain set of capabilities and orientations in the world and life experiences, and they give us the capability to lead. But it's something that you have to learn and lean into, and you you could definitely be taught to be a leader, um, but it's very different from, uh, from being a manager, and that's the, the distinction that's often missed on people.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting distinction. And even throughout the conversation myself and Gavin had, we kind of didn't distinguish between the two because when someone gets promoted, they get promoted to become a manager rather than, you know, we don't really have typical leadership roles in terms of, uh, of you know, uh, employment titles or whatever that is. So do you think that... The language around it needs to change, or the attitudes needs to change, or we need to focus on employing people who who are leaders into the management roles rather than just people who've been with the company a certain amount of years.
3: It's yeah, it, it's it's a really good point, and, and organisations that do it well certainly focus on developing leadership capability in people. Now, you you also have to develop managerial skills. So there's no point putting somebody in to be a, the, a manager of a big you know, function and marketing function. If not anything about like marketing or they you know, they don't have the functional skills The people look at them and go, Sure, you don't know what you're talking about. why would I, why would I listen to you? You don't you actually don't understand our our, our organization or our department. And um, but leading those people is different. And that's about being the person that you will want to follow. So if you want to be a leader how do I how do I get better at being a leader? How do I get better at being listened to, be the kind of person who's worth following or be the kind of person who's worth listening to. So I think organizations can definitely focus on that and Certainly, well, in the in the IMI, we've we've been in the business of equipping leaders to build the future for over sixty years, so we've a lot of experience of building people up and taking people through a leadership journey. It's absolutely possible to do, but it's 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 hard work, and in the same way, you have to learn your skill, you have to learn your craft. Yeah, you know, to to to, um, to be credible as a manager, you have to learn the craft and the skill of listening to people, and it's a lot of that is about building out your emotional intelligence. Um, the, uh, you know, the, 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 I will summarise that leadership is the capability of getting, of being able to get others exercise, a free choice to follow you.
4: Mm. Uh,
3: there's a lovely book by a guy called Goffey and Jones, uh, two guys called Goffey and Jones, um, called Why Should Anybody Be Led by You? And that's a, an absolute cracker of a title for a book I wish I'd written. Mm. It's, that's the, it's a killer question. Uh, and when we appoint people into these managerial roles, and they, they necessarily have to have the managerial skills do we think about why would anybody follow that person are they the kind of person that anybody would choose to follow would give up their you know their their, their discretionary effort their 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 heart and soul to follow that person or is it just look i report to that person cuz i have to but mm. if i didn't have to i wouldn't choose to so that's the those are the big distinctions and there's they're certainly learned capabilities
2: It's interesting that uh, I suppose we're having this conversation in the middle of a pandemic where managers really have been put to the test. Everything from keeping morale up, you know, giving bad news, whether that is job losses, pay cuts, whatever it is, limited resources. The role of the manager is incredibly important. Do you think in general that we invest enough in developing managers to be able to deal with all of those human issues, regardless of the actual job itself? I,
3: uh, I think that, that is—it's definitely a gap. I think there are some organizations, and not fair to say all organizations. The better performing organizations invest in people. They they invest in their talent. They hire the kind of people who are capable of doing doing the jobs they've been doing, and they invest in those people seriously. Uh, organizations that don't do that are are find themselves out competed and out learned. I mean, the the organizations that are going to compete in the future are. Are, are are and win in the future are those who can outlearn the competition and that's about investing in people and growing the talent in your workforce and putting attention into that so um one of the one of the things i think that, that uh, kind of sports not one of the things that you that you learn from from uh, understanding sports psychology and sports physiology and that they've kind of learned in the last twenty years is that rest is is as important as competing and as training um but in in organisations, we don't think about rest. We don't think about things like well-being and mental health and and wellness, and, and and you know getting people to step back from the stress of work. And particularly in the pandemic, we saw that how much stress were people under. Not just working from home, but their organisations were under threat. Their jobs were under threat. All that kind of stuff. Um, um, and organizations that took well being and mental health and, and learning and nurturing and caring for people, and making sure they were heard, making sure they were empathized with, those have those people have grown what's called the psychological contract. They've grown an even more committed, engaged workforce. And those organizations that don't really do that, that still try to manage people by, you know, micromanaging or task or focus or, you know, checklists, those people have kind of broken the psychological contract. Uh, and and they've taken a couple of steps back and when they go back into work and whatever that looks like, they're going to be starting from behind the ball and those organisations that really invested in people, really thought about people, really empathised with with their people, really led their people well, have grown the psychological contract, have grown the sense of purpose and those those organisations will push on and they will continue to be the organisations that invest in people, genuinely invest in people. Mm. Um, Not a lot of organisations just say, oh, people are best resource you know we look at that mission statement the first line is people are our best resource but nothing about how they behave would would lend you to to form that opinion about them so so some organizations in fairness we have some great organizations we come and work with us in the IMI all the time they're doing fantastic work on on growing leadership and developing people but um, there's certainly organizations who wouldn't fit that bill
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, like we have the, you know, Great Place to Work Awards. There's so many different accolades for places that are great. It would be good if we kind of put a bit more of a spotlight on the areas that need to be improved. And there's been a lot of talk about, obviously, remote working and how to keep the chins up, I suppose, as people adapt to this new way of working. I was on your website earlier on. And I saw that there are courses now for uh, remote people management and keeping that morale up. How, like if one of the things that we mentioned in a previous show is what if you've got somebody on your team who's very quiet and they're normally quiet in the office, but it's easier for them to hide when they're working from home. And how do you ensure that people don't get fully left behind or lose their confidence during this time of remote working so that when they do come back to the building, they have the confidence to speak out in a meeting or that they, they, they make themselves known and their present known presence known within the building?
3: Yeah, it, it, well, a couple of interesting things are happening uh, just in, in terms of that remote working dynamic because, well, what, uh, and, and to a certain extent, some of the quieter, the more introverted quieter people are coming out of their shell because remote working or at least virtual working facilitates those quieter people who, who are not loud in meetings, who don't make their presence felt, or are a little bit shy, you know, the um, online collab- collaboration tools can actually suit those people much better. So we're beginning to see pockets of uh, particularly organizations that lean into the technology, you know, use the technology for what it can do rather than resisting technology. You really lean into that. You can get the best out of those people who behave and act and interact in maybe quieter ways or less kind of vocal and a you know, big personality thing. It's hard to impose a big personality in a Zoom meeting with 20 people, you know, so the uh, the quieter people are coming out of the shell a bit. So there is some upside in the technology if there's any dividend from the pandemic. There are some upside for those kinds of people. Just to answer the the, the second part of your question, just about the good and the bad performers, you know. And I think there's... there's One of the things that might come out of this is a focus on output and metrics uh, and getting away from this idea of presenteeism. It's one of the problems with... Uh, in the past, when, when people were physically in work, you had this issue with presenteeism. Remember that when Like, nobody could leave the mm-hmm. office until the boss left, um, and everybody had to be seen to be in work, had to be seen to be at your desk, and you had to be seen not to go to learn, all this kind of stuff, you know, that kind of macho, macho idea of presenteeism. Um, when you can't see people working, then you you that doesn't, you know, that old technique doesn't work anymore. It, we used to call this Theory X and Theory Y in, in organizational behavior thinking. So Theory X was, you know, you know, people run faster when chased by hungry bears, you know, that kind of thing. That you manage people with tasks and you focus on them, You might reward and recognition and all that kind of stuff. And Theory Y was that if you just get out of the way, people want to do a good job. Just give them the tools and let them at it. They will do a good job. People are motivated to do good work. So in the old days, if somebody said, oh, I want to work from home, you know, how you knew somebody was a Theory X or a Theory Y manager was, did they say, well, how do I know she's working? If I can't see her, you know, that's old Theory X thinking. That all went out the window. She couldn't see anybody working. So managers and leaders have to do the really hard work of figuring out, well, how would I know? Like, What is the measure of output here? And and, now, and so we can begin to reward people who produce good stuff. That's either themselves or else produce good stuff in others, you Now, facilitate others to produce good stuff, create the right environment where other people can produce good work. So we're beginning to have to focus on that and not focus on this old style, you know, are you, are you stuck at your desk for 12 hours a day? So that's, potentially that's a good thing to come out of the pandemic. Sometimes a bit of the old
1: theory X column, though, can be good. I mean, is it too much of a a, a blanket statement to say, you know, Terry X is gone and theory Y is is Gore? Because probably there are some people who would respond better to having the the bear chasing after them, as you mentioned. Yeah,
3: exactly. No, you're absolutely right. And in all these things, it, it, the balance is appropriate. And there's no if there was a simple prescription, or you you know the the reason why there are thousands and thousands of these. Um, theories is that some of them work in some places and some of them work in others, but they don't all work all the time kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that they're, they're, they're the appropriate balance is right. So if you give uh, people the opportunity um, to kind of watch Netflix all day, there will be a lump of people who who will do that. But sure, they were watching Netflix at their desk anyway. You know, they were they were booked <laughs> their holidays or they were in the in the, the frozen fish oil of Tesco but <laughs> they just happen to be sitting at your at, at their desk. So, you know, the, those people who are motivated not to work will find ways not to work, and those people who are motivated to work will find ways to work. How you approach that as as a leader is understanding who's who and and uh, particularly if you can understand what the output is so those people who aren't producing the output, whether they're there or not, they're not producing the output and whether they they whether those people will be motivated by a hungry bear or by a you know a, a arm around the shoulder. You just have to figure that out. You have to, and it's an age-old problem. You have to understand your people as people. You have to invest the time in understanding yeah. what motivates people, and their the motivations are changing. And the stuff that used to motivate people, some of that stuff doesn't work anymore. And some new stuff, you know, the, the things like the diversity inclusion agenda, probably should always have been on the list of, of things that leaders need to manage. But it's absolutely on the list now. And if you're not all over that and fully understanding that agenda now, you're going to be losing big
1: parts of your workforce Okay well uh, I mean I will say if there were hungry bears chasing after me I think that definitely would motivate <laughs> me to be more productive Can I can I ask you uh, Colm when you have people in with you in the IMI what do you find are are, are the areas where people are most likely to make mistakes because I, I think a lot of people kind of fall into a managerial gig they don't necessarily set out to be a manager at yeah. the start of their career and uh, you know they're not always prepared and, and it can be easy to make mistakes
3: Well um, there are a couple of things. I think that the, uh people avoid tough conversations. People avoid difficult conversations. That's kind of a truism. Um, it's probably more true of of us in Ireland than globally. And there are some cultures that are a little, uh, a little bit more kind of terminally polite than we are. Um, but we're we're very polite as a society. We're very nice to each other, to our, at least to our faces. Anyway, you know, we're terribly terribly cutting and bitchy around a coffee cooler. But, you know? but in formal feedback so we're not really good and uh, we're not really good at giving particularly constructive critical feedback and that's something that a lot of managers have to learn is how to have that tough conversation with the with the, uh, the underperformers. Um, the other thing there's another major one um, that I've seen a lot is that people try to reward people with with things that they find rewarding so I would really like this opportunity so I'm going to try to reward Gavin by giving him this opportunity sure, geez, Gavin has no more interest in the opportunity the Man on the Moon that was, that's the only column like that thing you didn't like that at all, so trying to motivate people with stuff that you find motivating is a is a, a major skill, and then the, just that whole ability to have the honest, tough conversation in a in a critical way you know um I think there's a brilliant example actually just in is is a fantastic role model for leadership at the minute, and one of the things that she's showing is how to be compassionate and strong, you know but being sympathetic, being empathetic, being kind, being compassionate doesn't mean that you're weak in any way and, and maybe you would have got that impression from some other leaders that thought you had to be kind of tough and bolshy in, in order to be seen as strong but I think there you have somebody on the world stage now leading in a very different way and I think it's a very positive thing.
2: Yeah, it really does come back to, I suppose, in quotes, the soft skills that we've heard so much about over the last six weeks. Uh, plenty of food for thought there. Colin Foster of the Irish Management Institute. Thanks so much for joining us here on Future of Work.
3: That was all. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Kevin.
2: Coming up next, we speak to David McRedman, the CEO of OnPost.
0: Future of Work. With thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well being of your employees in an ever changing workplace. With the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk.
2: Welcome back to Future of Work with Gavin McLaughlin and Jess Kelly. Every week we've been tackling different issues relating to the future of work here in Ireland.
1: Now let's get back to our chat on managing in a pandemic and we're joined by David McRedmond. David is the Chief Executive of OnPost and he formerly served as the Chief Executive of TV3 for a decade. David, you're very welcome. And I might start by asking you, when you were starting out in your career thinking, you know, what would you like to do? What was your initial ambition?
4: Well, I, I, I had no ambition, I, uh, I, or if I had an ambition, it would have been to be a journalist or a writer. Um, you know, I started out in my career, I went to London after university. I thought I could be a journalist. I couldn't get a job and I got a job in a bookstore. And it was uh, the second Waterstones bookstore to have opened. I became great friends with Tim Waterstone and a group of us built up that book chain into the biggest book chain in, in europe i think and over the next uh, decade so so i ended up in business accidentally i expect
1: and i suppose you ended up in in management accidentally by extension what was your first management gig sort of uh, you know leading a team of people
4: so leading the team of people was opening a bookstore in Hampstead in in north london um, a fantastic very literary area beautiful area of london and uh, that was a wonderful training and it's actually generally seen in the UK less so here I think but um, it's seemed that retail is a great uh, way to develop management because it's all about very direct people management because you are literally on the shop floor with the people you're working with and you're on the shop floor with customers so there's this incredible immediacy between customers and employees um, and I absolutely loved it. And thereafter, I then was sent to the United States to open waterstones there, and I opened bookstores in uh, Boston and Chicago and elsewhere. And then I came back and was the operations director for Waterstones uh, in in Europe. so, um so that's the, the, those were my first jobs.
1: so how did you just to delve into it a little bit more, how did you find the whole ele- element of? managing people and, and dealing with staff sort of on a personal basis because I, I think a lot of people when they start out you know they, they want to do well in their career but they're, they're not necessarily thinking you know I, I can't wait to be a big people person and leader of people it, it can be kind of challenging for, for somebody who is might be technically skilled and then finds finds themselves having to be in this uh, you know role that is all about people.
4: Yeah, I mean, for for me, it was quite organic. So um, these were people who I knew, it was a very collegiate atmosphere. We were all young in London, um, having a lot of fun Um, and uh, so that brings its own challenges because you're friendly with the people, you're very friendly with the people you're managing and you know you all hang around together which isn't necessarily the best way to be with managing people um you know as you get on of your career you realize there's work and there's home and they're very different places and and um but uh but actually i i think i'd like to think it gave me a sense of real respect for for people i work with and um, because i'm one of them um and i think that that's a very fundamental piece of good management is to realize you're you're the same as everybody else i mean there's nothing worse than 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 a manager who whose power has gone to their head or something and and i'm sure yeah. at times i've probably behaved like that everybody does Um, but you know you essentially remember that that this is, you know, and when I manage people now, this, this is who I was, you know, five years ago or several levels down. This is who I was a decade ago. Or, um, and, and you know how you'd like to be managed and that can be a very good way to make decisions about how you manage people.
1: If we fast forward to today, something I'm always curious about is how do you divide up your time? Like there's so much to do. So how do you make sure you're not swamped by one thing and sort of ignoring sure. another?
4: It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it sounds. I'm going to sound so old now, but um, like I, I started off my career with there were barely computers. I mean, we had just about had computers, but there was certainly no internet, and um, there wasn't there wasn't email um, uh, as we know it now. And so, in some ways, it became a bit easier. You know, if if the way you're being managed is your post and it comes in at the boardy, that 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 kind of separates your time. I mean, I worked, um, Waterstones was acquired by W.H. Smith, a very old English company, and those old British companies like... You know wh smith or boots or cadbury's or and um, glaxo you know they had fantastic management training programs and we were endlessly going in programs around time management etc but the essential thing is is the same rule is to separate the urgent from the important and to make sure the urgent doesn't crowd everything out so even today i'm very very cautious about making sure that I have times which are my own time so I can do my own thinking and my own reflection. And I think that's an incredibly important part of work. Good, deep reflection. Um, So that's time you just carve out. I learned how to do it technically uh, when I was trained to do it, but I've learned it since as as something that is, is, is natural. And the other thing I would say, though, is... This sense that that somehow your work is your own time, it's not really. I mean, I, I often, the most often complaint I get from people coming into management is, God, there's too many meetings, if only there weren't so many meetings I could get on with my work. And I have to point out and say, no, the meetings are your work. The meetings are my work. That's how we work. We work through conversation and collaboration and debate and and so I think as you develop you 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 learn to develop those skills and and make sure you don't let the a big task list uh dominate.
1: Earlier in the programme myself and Jess were, were talking about, you know, what what must be some of the most difficult elements of management which is that sometimes you have to make the decision to let people go so how David do you steel yourself to have to do something like that which obviously has very serious consequences for people's personal lives
4: oh it's a, it's a, and particularly when when you know, you're first in management, and you're more junior. That is, that is the, literally the most horrendous and difficult piece. And and if it's horrendous and difficult for you as a manager, it's much worse for the employee who you have to let go. And in a sense, it doesn't get easier. It does change, but, um, you know, at first you you know you follow all the rule books and make sure you do it very formally and properly and do those things as you should do. But to a degree, that can be slightly inhuman and um, as you're trying to do it properly and protect the company and do it legally right and all of that. I think as you get more senior and with more senior people, um, and I've been on both sides of it, and um, I don't think anybody can get through a career without having to be uh, on both sides, have it to be moved on as well. Um, I I think what happens is you realise these are adult conversations. They're adult-to-adult conversations. We reach a point where we realise, you know what, I've probably done my job here, and maybe somebody else can do a better job. And and, uh, likewise, with somebody who works for you, you have those conversations. And so, so once you get to that point where you have enough confidence to be able to do that, Without having to resort to the very strict uh, rulebook, um, you have a more human conversation and engagement. But you know it's never easy. However, you are doing it for the sake of the company, which is your obligation as a manager. Your obligation is to look after the company, um, and and. But at the same time, you 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 look after the person, and you make sure you do it as decently. As you, you possibly can, you know, and and the test of that is whether you can remain in touch afterwards and whether, you know, I, I, and as I say, I've I've been on both sides of that and I'm in touch with people on both sides of that.
1: Okay. A couple of other things I wanted to ask you, David. Uh, obviously, COVID has had a, a big impact on, on the way we work uh, and we're also in the middle of this generational change I suppose you could call it and we've covered that that on this show where people uh, you know millennials or Generation Z as you call them maybe they take the view that the old fashioned iron fist approach isn't acceptable and and it all has to be sort of the velvet glove so um, can I ask you first of all how has COVID changed the way you do things and second is there a place for the stick as well as the carrot
4: (sighs) Covid has completely changed how we do things um and uh in in some ways for the better in some ways not you know and look I, all of this will be very obvious to you to your listeners around working from home and you know we've a thousand people in the gpo and 900 are working from home um, uh, our front lines fantastic frontline staff are out there working every day but um, as regards the, the kind of office work, uh, it's it's a succession of Zooms, Zoom or Teams calls and. Um, and that's how we communicate now. And, and we have to be a bit more diarised around our day to make sure we clock in and we do the calls at the right time and we do all of that. And is it so, harder to uh, make sure
1: people are, are okay and sort of not uh, getting overwhelmed by everything that's going on?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And and we've worked very hard at that. and So we've introduced the idea of core hours. So you, we only have calls between, you know, we only have teams calls between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m are now 4 p.m. now the clock's between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. so we're not crowding out the time at start and end of the day and we don't have them on friday afternoons and um, and so you know we're giving people making sure that people have their time and been very careful to make sure that we're we're not uh, burdening people out of hours, out of office hours. And so we work we, we work hard at that, but but it's not easy. It's never easy to switch off work. I find that as a senior person, I find it from my role less difficult because I'm used to that anyway where you know the the most difficult thing about work isn't the work it's it's the mind it's it's that it's always on your mind and if you could leave your mind behind that would be a great way to get a break but unfortunately Mm. I wake up on Saturday morning with my mind and you know that's that takes a lot of uh, self-training, self-discipline to be able... And indeed, routines, whether you go go for a run or go for a swim or whatever you do to be able to almost cleanse your mind. That, that, those those um, tactics... Of, of personal preservation are really important. There's only so much a company can do to help people with that. The danger with all of this is it uh, is actually a very efficient way of working. It's very efficient at what you were talking about earlier, about time management. But it's not doing two areas, I see. Firstly, it's not developing relationships. And work is all about relationships, works all about collaboration and it's not developing that and in a sense we're all doing okay because we're, we're borrowing from the bank of relationships we built up before the pandemic that's going to gradually wither away the second area it's not good at is innovation and this everybody will tell you is you know innovation requires that absolute contact between people to brainstorm to think through ideas and and that piece is missing. So that's why an office is so essential for the future. Because you need a place to collaborate. You need a place to innovate. And you probably need a place to to build relationships. So, so those are the the risks.
2: One thing that I'm uh, quite curious about, David, is is the notion of mentors and mentorships. Because we heard in part two of the show from Colin Foster from the Irish Management Institute, who said that there's a distinguishment to be made between management and leadership. And I think, you know, sometimes people need to have a mentor, someone they can go to for guidance or to bounce ideas off to sort of nurture that leadership side and to develop those skills. What's your view on mentorships?
4: Oh, I think it's I, I think it's great to have mentors. i've I've had great mentors in my career, and when I haven't had them, the times I haven't had them, I've really missed it. And you're so spot on. I mean, the distinction between management and leadership is is the most challenging one, and um, because management is quite often or very often about control, about getting things done, about being productive, about tasks. Leadership is almost the opposition every single case. It's about losing, giving away control. It's about reflecting rather than acting. It's about all of those sorts of things which so you get to a point in your career where you've done very well and you're appointed to a position of leadership, but you got there by being a good manager. So you've got to learn to a completely different way of working. That, I think, is a real challenge. And uh, having a mentor for that, somebody who's been through that, it's the only way you can learn it.
1: OK, well, the clock is against us, David. So, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. But thanks very much for that very interesting stuff. That's David McRedmond there, Chief Executive of OnPost. And that's all we have for this week and indeed for Series 2, A Future of Work. A big thank you to all our guests over the past two months, to our producer, Pat Brannock, and to all of you for tuning in and subscribing.
2: Don't forget you can listen back to every episode in this series on the News Talk app, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you soon future of work
0: on Newstalk with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Read our expert report on social interaction in an ever-changing workplace at newstalk.com forward slash VHI Healthcare.